This is an NBA Sound System presentation of The Pickup Game, produced by Hall Pass Media. To watch the entire video series, visit hallpassnetwork.com. Now, to The Pickup Game. Hey guys, uh, welcome to Pickup Game with Seth Greenberg. Got Mark Pugh, Rick Carlisle, Tom Izzo, and myself. And, uh, you know, with everything that's going on in the world today and everything we're dealing with, I'd just like to kind of get your guys' take a little bit on how you're dealing with it personally and how you're dealing with it in terms of trying to stay connected with your teams. Obviously, Tom and and Fuel, you got it a little bit different, obviously, dealing with the college situation. But Rick, obviously, kind of wondering, you know, if you're going to have a season, when would it start? And how do you stay connected with your team? So, Mark, how's it going with you? Uh, just on, from a personal uh, side of things, it's been, uh, you know, it's just really slowed everything down. Uh, you know, obviously, way, way, way more family time, which has been great. And and a challenge uh, also just with school being at home and things like that. Uh, but, but, you know, it, it, it's been good. It's been good, and, and uh, we're just kind of adjusting daily. And then uh, with the team's been the interesting thing, uh, uh, you know, has, has been well documented. It just ended right prior to the NCAA tournament. So that was that was really, really tough to deal with. And then just trying to shepherd your guys through, uh, you know, moving on. The, the guys that are early entries and, and even my seniors as far as moving them on and not being able to, to be around them has been uh, challenging. And then uh, the guys we have on campus or still on the team has been a real challenge. I got four international kids that haven't been able to go home. Uh, so they're, they're, they've been stuck in the dorms here the whole time. So uh, uh, that's, been, that's been tough. Rick, a little different situation in the NBA. Obviously, there's so much uncertainty in where you guys are in this season. What what are you dealing with on a daily basis, individually and professionally? Well, things like this happen. You got to try to see the opportunity in it. Um, you know, from a professional standpoint, we're keeping in touch with our guys weekly. Uh, myself, my coaching staff, uh, we're doing it through uh, text. We're doing it through calls. We we're doing it through some um, Zoom sessions. Uh, I'm doing a couple of uh, Zoom sessions per week with my staff, and we're talking about our team. Um, and I'm, all, I'm also this week started to have some guest coaches on Zoom calls. That's the cool thing about Zoom is you can you, know, you can invite uh, you know some of them and uh, oh hey. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey Lupe. <laughs> That's the cool thing about Zoom calls. Cool thing about Zoom calls. So a couple days ago, we, uh, you know, we had the great Doug Collins uh, on one of our calls, just talking basketball. And Doug's a guy with a, an amazing history in the game, uh, both from a coaching standpoint. You go back to the '72 Olympics; he was part of that whole thing, which was just an incredibly crazy story about the clock being reset three times and and stuff like that. And this week. Um, you know, tomorrow we're going to have Phil Jackson join us for a Zoom call. My my staff's really looking forward to that, uh, especially you know in the middle of the uh, the documentary on ESPN. But uh, you know, like like anything, you know, you you try to find the opportunity. Like what Mark said about more family time. It's uh, you know, it's been it's been great to to reconnect. You know, so consistently on a day to day basis with my wife and daughter but it's probably created some challenges for them. <laughs> so, you know, we just, uh, we go day to day and, uh, you know, we try to find things to, um, to make the situation better, both uh, in our, in our home and, and uh, in our city. Is you surviving? I am. I had the same issues as you, these two guys, you know, my wife said, Hey, this will be a, our, our football coach just retired, Mark D'Antonio. So she said, this would be good. For you to kind of, I thought she meant practice retirement. She said, no, practice being a husband. So I, I'm, I'm working the other way, but uh, audition. Yeah, I'm auditioning right now to be a husband. But I uh, I think it is great. I got my kids home too. Uh, one's out of school and one's a freshman, and they're both home. So I get to spend some time with them. But with the players, I've done at least one 
Zoom call a week with everybody. That's been kind of fun because you get everybody on the screen and I just sit back and let them rip each other for their haircuts or their beards or what they're doing. It brings a little camaraderie. I'm, I'm a little worried about the mental health of everybody, at least in the college level. And, and then I've had a couple of Zoom calls with the parents just to uh, kind of fill them in on what's going on, which nobody really knows. And, uh, you know, my staff, I mean, recruiting calls and Zoom calls and, you know, you can bring in juniors now. We even got more problems than you used to have, Rick. We got more of them in college for Mark and I, but uh, it's been interesting and I think it's been good. Hey, come on over to the NBA then if you guys don't like college. We're <laughs> <laughs> probably telling you, come on to college. You don't like the NBA. I guess we all got problems. No, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't touch college. I'd tell you that. I, I'd be like starting over. Oh, man. <laughs> No doubt about that. So, uh, so you guys watched Last Dance, and you guys all have different perspectives on it. Uh, Rick, there was obviously a picture of you at the All Star Game as an assistant coach with, coach with Larry Bird. But like, what's your like? You know, you live the NBA every day. Lo love the lettuce on the top of the head, by the way. It looks great. But what what is your takeaway from you live the NBA every single day? But looking back now through the tunnel, maybe in reverse, what what's your big takeaway from yesterday? Well, you know, overall, um, not just yesterday, but overall, I, I really like this series because it puts a huge focus on the obsession of winning titles. And, you know, back in that era of the 80s and the 90s, um, you know, the best players were gauging you know, their legacy and, and, you know, what they were going to be remembered for on the number of rings that they had. That was, that was the only thing. And if you, and as you watch Michael Jordan, you know, during all this, it's clear. I mean, he, he says it many, many times, you know, I, I you know, um, people said that I couldn't make players better. They, you know, they said that Larry and magic were the only ones that could do it. And, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to, to prove that I could do it. And, it's just, I think it's a great message. Now, there's a lot of other stuff going on. Um, there's a lot of, I mean, to say that this is compelling is like such an understatement because <laughs> the footage of, of everything is just, uh, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, I, I remember that, that scene in the locker room before the 1998 uh, NBA All-Star Game. We were in Madison Square Garden, um, and, you know, there was a lot of things going on. Uh, you know, Larry. Larry had said to to Mike to Michael Jordan before the. You know, it was it was right around this this time before the game. You know, he said uh, he said something like, uh, "Hey, Mike. You know, Kobe's Kobe's down there saying that the torch is going to get passed today." You know, it was like you know, Larry, <laughs> Larry, Larry, and Magic are there. You know, saying saying this kind of stuff to Michael, and it really got Michael in a in a froth. And then he he of course went out and and. Um, was the MVP of the All-Star Game, and he played, I mean, as hard as any player I've ever seen play in an All-Star Game, but uh, the series is the series is amazing, and hey, when you're, when you go from, you know, the episodes, and you get during the week, and there's all kinds of stuff on the internet, on, on talk radio, people talking about this, that, last week, David Falk was all over the radio, you know, talking about stuff related to Michael, and and defending his client and stuff like this. It's, it's just during this time, this has been a real blessing for, um, for everybody to see because, you know, we haven't been able to do much else. Is what do you think, man? Well, I loved it too. I loved it for the basketball part, but I loved it for the human interest stories. As Rick said, there were so many things that we don't get to see behind the scenes, especially if you're a college guy and, you know, and I got a chance to work Michael's camp for seven years. He had that fantasy camp in Vegas. And so I got to know him a little bit. And then through magic, you know, you heard. And the one thing that I've always heard from Irvin was, you know, nobody worked harder than Michael Jordan. And yet, since he knew better because he was right there with the Lakers, he said Kobe, you know, was the closest thing as far as how hard he worked every day and, and how much winning was important. And I think Rick's right. It's a great message for our younger kids. You know, even as you said, or Mark and I talked about, you know, he gets cut from his varsity team and he didn't even transfer. I mean, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> you know, supposed to transfer. He, Michael must not have been very smart. He's got to transfer if you get cut. So I thought that was uh, all those things were good.
for the modern day kid to listen to. And much more than basketball, I thought was the human interest side of it. Fury. Uh, hey, I, I again, I'm coming at it from just a, a pure fan standpoint. You know, just I remember watching all those games and, and living through that that time and just, and, and I remember those, a lot of those series and those moments, but uh, it's just been really just great TV. I think, I mean, we, 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 we're all looking for stuff to do and Sunday nights now is just marked by, Hey, we got to get home and, and, uh, and watch that. Uh, and I think it's just, I, I've just been so impressed with uh, Michael during all this. It's just been great to just see him, uh, up close, kind of, you know, no holds barred, and and I, I just uh, appreciate his honesty and and you know seeing him, you know, with kind of all the filters off is has been really really cool. And I agree with Rick; it's beyond compelling. It's just uh, it's it's just it's just showing the human side of him. I mean, as great as he was, it's great, you know, he, and how he how he's covering it and dealing with it and talking about it. I loved how he's talking about, I mean, he didn't sign up to be a role model, you know, he just, he's, he was just signed up to, to compete and win. And, and, uh, I think that is a great message for these young players is just sometimes that gets lost with all the hype and everything that, you know, we're still keeping score and, and, uh, you know, it is about winning. You know, to, to me, a couple of things like to me, everything was a cause. It's a, it was incredible to me the number of different causes he created to motivate himself. Like, I mean, like first it was Drexler, then it was Marley, then it was, you know, obviously Kraus was always kind of in the edge, uh, you know, Barkley get it, you know, being the most valuable player. I mean, like it was incredible to me that each and every day he found different ways to motivate himself to kind of raise his bar uh, a little bit. Now, uh, you know, to me that, that, that was, I wouldn't say unique. I mean, as coaches, we always trying to find causes, but here's a player individually that found a way to kind of challenge himself. That was, you know, his own motivation and that pushed him. Now, Rick, I got a question for you. Like you've been in the league a long time. What, what do you think the people like, like, Jay Williams the other day said, well, you know, the, the league's so much more athletic now. He wouldn't be able to dominate just athletically like he did back then, which I think is ridiculous because he, he dominated athletically with his skill, with his competitive spirit, with his feel for the game. I mean, wh wh where are you on that? He would have been as dominant or more dominant um, in today's game. Um as would Bird and Magic Johnson and, you know, uh, even Kareem, you know. I mean, th these guys, I think one thing, you know, you look for when you and, – and when you analyze the history of any sport, you know, My Michael had that thing, that inner drive. He had to win. You know, he, he knew he had the ability – um, he had come from a background where everything was earned. He was told he couldn't do things at a young age. He always took those challenges. But, you know, you dream of having a player that, you know, has to win. Now, I, I was lucky, you know, when I came to Dallas, both Jason Kidd and Nowitzki were, were both players that knew that they had to win. And then, then the question was, you know, did we have enough talent around those guys um, and then, you know, were we, were we going to ever be able to get on a run and, 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 you know, get to the promised land. Um, but when you have, you know, a guy or two guys like that on your team, whether it's, whether you're a college coach or an NBA coach, I mean, it is a, it is a magical situation that can never be duplicated. I mean, it is, it is something else because that player is finding things every day and, you know, the way that the way that Michael, you know, some of the practice footage where he's, you know, getting on guys and and, you know, his voice is louder than everybody else's. I mean, as a coach, this is this is the kind of stuff, you know, you you dream of. And so you know, we're all trying to create an environment where our best player can become that sort of that sort of guy. Um, it seemed to come a little a little more naturally to Michael Jordan. 
Sure, you had a guy, Adam Morrison, you said that you found he, you always had to find ways to keep him motivated and challenge him. Kind of explain that. I thought that was fascinating what we're talking about today. Yeah, look, he Adam was uh I mean, he we discovered early that if we didn't keep score in a drill, <laughs> uh and, and I mean I mean even a closeout, even the most mundane ones, you know, he if he didn't see the importance of it. He, some of his effort was sometimes not up to par, but we figured out early if we kept score and everything and made everything a competition, then his effort was off the charts. And, uh, uh, and then also, as you and I were talking about, we also found that if we could create an edge with him, so my old assistant, Leon Rice, who's the head coach at Boise State now, would, would constantly be uh, – probably 50% factual and 50% not so factual as far as helping Adam gain edges. I mean, he'd say things like, hey, the opposing coach didn't vote for you all league last year, or boy, you should have seen the comments in the paper by the guy that's guarding you, or or just things like that. And it's and for whatever reason, Adam was – he's so hyper-competitive that uh, he'd latch on to those things and, and – uh, practices were great and effort in the games was great. So uh, it, it was an interesting challenge. But, you know, uh, 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 like Rick was talking about, uh, DeMontis Sabonis was like that also. I mean, just a ferocious uh, uh, warrior and competitor. Tom, were, so I'm sorry. We had to kind of, you know, not tamper that down, but we had to kind of feed that thing also. Uh, uh, with him and, and not, not that you never had to create an edge, but his dad and his family just did such a great job with, with, uh, winning, you know, winning, winning was the most important thing and team was the most important thing. And, and, uh, and just every time I step on the floor, you're going to get max effort and max intensity. And I think sometimes people in practice were a little bit taken aback by that, but it was sure awesome to have as a coach. Tom, you always talk about player coach teams. Yeah, that's that's kind of the way I think is best. And I think Rick said it, you know, when you got somebody like that, and I mean, I think about it, and I've had some good players and I've had some good leaders, but Mateen Cleaves was my best leader, not maybe not my most talented player, but he was my best leader. And leaders at an elite level, I think, have the ability to make other people around them better. Either do it by your voice, your play, whatever. Um, you know, when I came here, Magic Johnson was, I was a GA and he was in his, I think, fourth or fifth year in the NBA, I'd already won a championship. We'd have pickup games at night. The Pistons had come, Trapuca and all those guys. We'd have three, 4,000 people at pickup games. I don't think Irvin ever lost, you know, so I think he had some of those same qualities, you know, never lost in cards, never lost in this and that. Um, there's very few of those people that are that obsessed. And I learned through this thing. I mean, watching Michael in the camp all those years, he'd be the first one there. And I was challenging guys. I saw a little bit, but I didn't know him. I don't know him that well. But what I did see in this, in this uh, documentary was uh, a guy that was so driven. I mean, he competing in golf, competing in cards, competing in this. And Rick probably knows more than we do. But I thought that part of it uh, – is why we won a championship. I had the greatest one I had was Cleves. We won the championship. The greatest one here maybe ever was Magic Johnson. Maybe there's only been two championships. I mean, I'm not saying you, you don't need talent too, but you need one of those guys that's going to bring it every day because a player-coach team is better than a coach-coach team because as a coach, you don't get to be with them all the time in the locker rooms, on the airplanes, uh, uh, playing cards, whatever. And that's where you need that stud that just drags everybody with them. Now, how about you have this hyper-competitive dude like Jordan or whomever, Rick, maybe it was Jason Kidd or Nowitzki, whomever, Phil, you've had guys like that, like you're talking about Morrison. And he's pushing and challenging his teammates. And uh, yet you want him to be a good teammate. And yet they go back into the locker room and you, know, you got to have someone who's coaching the locker room. How do you deal with – how have you guys dealt with guys that were so ultra-competitive but also could kind of push the buttons of guys a little bit. I mean, especially like in the NBA, you get a guy that I was just 
Jordan talented, but he's also wearing on some dudes. How, how does how, how does that work, Rick? Well, you know, Kid was probably the best example of that kind of guy. Um, you know, in our Dallas teams, but he he had a real touch for it. You know, he was thirty seven years old when I got the job here, and. He was still a great player. He was certainly getting toward the end of his career, but he had a he had a great feel of you know how how to push buttons. But it, but it was subtle. It was it was more like he was a master at giving guys confidence, and I think that that's you know one of the traits of a truly great player is that he has the ability to allow players that, that are playing with them to to play beyond their means. Like I, I played three years with Larry Bird in Boston and I was, you know, I was I was as marginal a role player as ever played in this league. But when when Bird would throw you the ball and say, you know, shot, you know, you know, go ahead, you got it. He would he would give you um, you know, sort of an irrational confidence and you would make the shot. And so um you know, it just—it seems to me from watching this documentary that that Jordan was a was an extreme case. You know, he was an extreme case. You know, he he, and when you worked as hard as him, and this is just only a you know a, an observation of this um, from afar. And I do know Michael. Um, he and I were the same year in college, um, and over the years, you know, I you know, I, I run into him from time to time, and. And there's a there's a relationship there because of the ACC. It's it's probably like the Big Ten and everything else. But from what I see from watching this thing, you know, Jordan was a guy that was the first in the gym, the last to leave. He was doing more work than anybody else, and so you know he he had earned the right um, to be a guy that could you know get on his teammates where he thought it was the the right thing the right situation and and I think a lot of it was just creating that hyper competitive environment to constantly keep an edge yeah 84 that was at 84 when I actually Indiana beat North Carolina because I'm not sure we could have beat North Carolina and then we were fortunate enough to get Indiana the next night and Kent Needland made that great defensive play if I'm not mistaken to help us get to the, to the championship now Tom you had a hyper competitive dude like Who's in the league? Draymond Green. Mm -hmm. Like, where does he compare? And like, you watch him now in the league, and he's not afraid to put push people's buttons. He's not afraid to kind of challenge guys, and he's not even the dude. He's one of the dudes. How was he to coach in college in that manner? Well, there are some crazy timeouts now. I'll tell you. <laughs> but you know what he was is winning was really. All he cared about. I mean, he didn't play a lot his freshman year and and started to play a little bit more his sophomore year, probably at his coming out party against Mark. I think he had 30-some up there, and and that's when he really started shooting the ball better. But his competitiveness, and he was one of the guys that wasn't afraid to tell you, but he'd also be your buddy. That's what I liked about Michael last night. That's what I liked about my kid Cleves, too, is, is uh, you know, Michael's playing golf with his guys. He's going out to dinner. He's playing cards with his guys. And and I think like Rick said, when you're the hardest worker, you get respect. And it, it's by show, you know. I mean, you you live, you walk the you talk, walk the talk, or walk the walk, even. And so you're really doing what you're what you hope a coach wants you to do, but you're doing it on your own. I mean, that's the way magic was. Draymond, he, you know, I say you gotta either like the game, love the game, or live the game. And to be a pro to me, unless you're extremely talented, you better be between loving and, and living it, at least if you're going to withstand it. Michael seemed to live the game, morning, noon, and night. Like Rick said, first guy there, last guy. I wouldn't say Draymond was like that. I think he liked and loved the game his first two years and then started to love and live the game his last two years. But he would uh, say what was on his mind just like he does now. But I think there was a respect factor, and I think he respected me. I respected him. Gave him more slack than maybe somebody, but I think that's what all of us coaches do to a certain extent. Who was your toughest guy? Was it Morrison? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, he wasn't tough for me just because I think he was really tough for the assistants, to be honest with you. <laughs> he was uh, uh, like what Tom's saying. I mean, it – 
he, he respected me and, and I knew what a competitor he was and I had the assurance. I mean, I, I knew he was going to show up on game night. I mean, he responded and I don't think people really give him enough credit. I, pro career and all aside, there was a lot of injuries, but that year in college, man, uh, what him and JJ had going that year, uh, and the, the places we were playing and the arenas we were and crowds we were dealing with. And he was, I mean, he had multiple 30 point halves, multiple 40 point games, uh, with, you know, everybody there to watch him and everybody there to shut him down. So there was a lot of pressure on him. So, uh, I mean, just I, I had a, a tremendous amount of respect for how he just handled all that. Uh, but uh, along the kind of the same lines, both uh, coaches were talking about there. You know, uh, Nigel Williams Goss is probably the best leader we've ever had uh, up at our place, and it's and it's no coincidence that that was probably you know our our best team that advanced the farthest. And he was he was a guy that was great, like. Uh, Coach Carlisle said he was unbelievable about throwing a pass and, and encouraging that guy to shoot. The next one's going in. And he and even sometimes we're us as coaches, we're caught up in everything. Some maybe you don't always realize that a guy's struggling with his confidence a little bit because you know you're not seeing it, but maybe they're talking about it off the court. Nigel was great for building guys up and and uh, and, and and really helping with their confidence and instilling his confidence in them, which I think then carried over to their performance. So uh, the, the, those, the great leaders like that have a real knack for it. And again, he was a guy that, if anything, worked harder than anybody we've had here. So uh, kind of goes hand in hand. Rick, international players, you've had a pretty good one. Now you've got another great one. Like, what is the difference? And Mark, you've had an incredible career with guys from overseas. Like what? What? What is the difference in those guys? Like you know, whether it's Dirk or whether now it's Doncic or you know the players that you've had that have transitioned to the NBA, how do they just their interaction, how do they assimilate into the league, their maturity. How how different is it dealing with those guys? Like Doncic, he would have been a freshman in college when you had him, basically. How, how is that transition, and and how are they to coach? Well, I've been very blessed. Um, you know, early in my assistant coaching career with the Nets, we traded for Drazen Petrovic. So we had him for a better part of two years. In the second year, um, or I think in the third year, he was third-team All-NBA, and then he had the tragic accident. Um, Petrovic came over. If you watch films of Petrovic before he came to the NBA, he was emotional. He was animated. He was a, he was a wild man. Um, but he came, he came over to the NBA. He went to Portland first, and then he was, he was very deferential. You know, he never showed any of those kinds of emotions. Now, when he got traded to the Nets and became one of our best players, it changed a little bit. Um, but he was a great player, and a couple of years later, I was in Portland as an assistant when Arvidas Sabonis came over. So and this is kind of a, a side story, but uh, – during Sabonis' first year, I went over to his house the day that uh, Demontis was born to congratulate him, and I ended up I ended up seeing a video of the birth. It was like, it was like unbelievable, <laughs> along with along with drinking a lot of drinks and doing a lot of other stuff to celebrate. I guess the you know kind of the Russian way. <laughs> But Sabonis, you know, I played against him when I was at Virginia. Uh, we played this game against um, – it was the Soviet national team at the time. Sabonis was 18 years old. You guys probably remember they played Indiana. They came played us. I mean, this was a team of men. And back in those days, like Sabonis had no injuries. You know, he was a Larry Bird type player that was seven foot four. I mean, he's unbelievable. So then, you know, as, as the thing goes along here, you know, I inherit an opportunity to be with Ritzky, who's, you know, like the, the greatest coach's dream that you could have. I mean, just wants to be coached, wants to be directed, um, you know, best teammate of any, you know, all-time great player. He's in the top 10 or 12 all-time for sure. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, but I, I, what I see is, as time's going along is that, you know, these guys um, are evolving 
you know, with, with social media and things like this. And, you know, Doncic, you know, is a different kind of personality coming from overseas. I mean, he is a, uh, you know, he, he's a guy that has a keen awareness of everything going on around him. And, you know, in the second year of his career, he saw those media crowds and stuff like that. I mean, we're not seeing that kind of stuff, but we're seeing this guy get an amazing amount of constant attention. And he got it over in Europe as well. He has over 3 million Instagram followers. And so, you know, he, he's dealing with, with some unusual pressures. He, he, has the, he has the pressure to win because he's a winner and he's a guy that has to win, which is great. Um, but with social media, he's also under, a, a, I think, you know, at times an unfair um, pressure to, you know, create highlights, you know, in, in real time and things like that. But the international players, you know, are, are more and more Americanized. I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, Mark's had a lot of them um, in his program. I think Iz has probably had some in his. But that's, that's what I see. And, you know, the, the world of basketball is, is becoming, you know, pretty much a synonymous language. Two, you've had a ton of international guys. What, what, one, why, why have you gone that direction? But more importantly, what is it like to coach those guys and and fit into your culture? I, we we just stumbled into it. I mean, we were lucky enough to get Roni Turi off, uh, you know, way back in the day, and he was had such a huge impact on our program and on our community, and got gosh, and and just on our personally on all our families, and and and, and I think the success that Roni had just you know, led the, to our place being attractive to other uh, uh, European players or, or overseas players. And then, you know, it just kind of has, has grown uh, from there. Uh, I, I would just say, and I, I would still say this to this point, like when you get, the, uh, you know, a, a kid from over there, yeah, like a Killian Tilly, uh, you know, they just haven't went through our whole system over here yet. At the and th there is absolutely unequivocally no sense of entitlement uh, whatsoever. I mean, the guys that are flashing up on the screen right now, they're overjoyed when they get a pair of shoes. You know, and and uh, they're 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 just so willing to be coached and so ready to be coached and so eager to, uh, to be coached and developed and to have everything. Strength and conditioning isn't a burden to them. They're excited to have somebody, you know, helping them in that part of their life. Same with nutrition, even with school. They're, they're, they're great with uh, school and excited for that opportunity. So um, I, I, it's just been an absolute joy for me to, to, to be involved with these guys and and, and help them along their way. And they, and all of them have just been so easy. I mean, I guess that's how I'd sum it up. Just really low maintenance and, and uh, uh, just end up being just uh, legendary people in our program, but also just great friends. And, and uh, you know, uh, to Rick's point, I, I, I honestly, I don't think uh, Arvidas has got nearly as much uh, – uh, credit for just how great a player he was back in the day. I mean, it's a shame that he wasn't able, that it took so long to get him over here. And from a guy that had that much success and then a son who was so good, I'm telling you what, he was the greatest, uh, uh, as good a dad as we've ever had here uh, to deal with. He was just, just let us coach him, wanted us to coach him. And I don't want to bore people. But there was, we had one time I get a shoot around, uh, I mean, this would never happen in this day and age, but it, Domus broke his finger and, uh, you know, catching a ball or something. So he calls his dad and it's, you know, we're thinking like, you know, I'm like, oh my God, he's going to be out, you know? And of course it was like against Western Appalachian state. And I was freaking out that we couldn't beat Western Appalachian state without Domus, you know, or something. And, uh, and it gets, uh, gets Arvidas on the phone and Arvidas says, well, it's broken. Yeah. Yeah. Well, did they say anything? It could, cause any more damage and we, there and uh, 
uh, DeMont is like, no. He's like, well, tape it up. You need to play. <laughs> <laughs> that was the end of that. <laughs> There's no load management. <laughs> hey, all right. So here's something I need. I need. I want you guys to talk amongst yourself on this because I think it's important. I'm going to tell you how I feel. The whole G League Academy, G League concept. All right, here's my take, and I'd be interested because, Rick, you, I'm sure you have an opinion as an NBA guy, and I understand the NBA has an obligation to their owners. And the NBA obviously feels, or Adam Silver feels like, you know, this is a good move for the league to make an investment in this G League Academy. Here's, here's the problem I have. I got a couple of problems, and tell me I'm right or I'm wrong. I, I'm all for it. Look, college isn't for everyone. Not every single dude that walks through the door wants to be, go to college. I think if a kid does go to college, he's better off for it because you're taking away a little bit of his childhood in a lot of ways. Having said that, I understand it's not for everyone. Here's my concern. I'm not sure the NBA and college basketball, I'm not sure it's in the best interest of basketball if everyone doesn't get on the same page. I'm not sure it's the best interest of college basketball and basketball in general. If we're really pushing and actually recruiting kids out of commitments to play in this G League Academy, I'm not sure it's in best interest of basketball when people are from the G League Academy are allegedly telling potential guys they're trying to recruit, well, college basketball, they're not going to have a season next year. Or after they've decided to come back to college and say, you know what, it's just not for me, they're continuing to recruit those guys. Like, like to me, we've got to find some way to work together for the best interest of the game, not for the best interest of the NBA, not for the best interest of college basketball, but I, I really feel that eventually the G League's starting to allegedly recruit underclassmen. The G League's eventually potentially thinking about going maybe to two, two, two rounds of a draft and having 60 guys in the league. And again, I don't know these for, for a fact. They're talking about having a dean of students. Look, there are, there are prep schools, pop-up prep schools that have dean of academics. I understand that. But like, what's in the best interest of the young people? So like i don't get it totally look if a kid wants to make money i'm all for it and i will give him a chance we'll talk about that later but where do you think the nba is going with this rick i mean where would you like to see him go with it forget about take off your head coach of the mavs hat what, what's in the best interest of the game big picture because you you lived it and obviously you Seth, Seth's gone. I guess he's turning it over over to us. You know, the thing that is amazing to me is that uh, I think back on school, college. You know, I went to high school. I went to a year of prep school because I was trying to get to Division One. I. I got one Division One offer at Maine. I go to Maine for two years. Decide I want to try to play big time somewhere. Virginia gives me a shot. You know, the college experience is like the greatest experience of my life. I mean, you know, my professional career has been, been awesome. Um, but, you know, the experience you have in college is like, you know, the, the experience you, you look forward to and remember, that's where you make your best friends and stuff like that. So, you know, to, to see that the college experience is, is getting a bit marginalized like that is, is not great. Oh, hey there. Hey, there we go. Um, but, you know, I don't know that much about this whole thing, to be honest. I don't, I don't know um, all the parameters. From what I understand, there's going to be one team of all these better players. Um, I, I, you know, the, the, the model, I, I don't know that I really understand the, the entire – model you know and then you know one night i'm watching hbo and that show uh, the scheme comes on and you start watching that and you know you wonder how in the world could something like that ever happen and so there's all this stuff um that goes on relative to the college game the bridge from the college game to the pro game um and i think you know in a lot of ways um it's setting up to get rid of one and done in at some point in a year, maybe two years, I keep hearing that that's a real possibility. Um, but I think back to my years in college, I, there aren't many things I wouldn't give to have one more year of college. <laughs> you know, that's just how I see it. 
days of Mark? Well, I, you know, I agree. I mean, I've been on the board a long time. And what I push for, uh, especially to you, Rick, is, you know, I, I got a good buddy in the, in the NFL, of course, and the relationship with football, college, and pro seems so good, and ours has seemed disjointed, you know, and I think some of it's our fault. You know, you get presidents saying they're stealing our players. I mean, the objective is to get to what's going to make you money in life. I was just hoping they'd use us more as a, I guess, a feeder system. Call it a farm. I don't care what you call it, but also don't we've devalued education to the point where sooner or later, 99% of the kids that even get to the NBA don't survive in there very long. There's such a few that make it big or make it for a 10 year period. So I was always in favor of if there's that much difference in the G league or the NBA and college, let's institute some, some rules that are in the, uh, the pro ranks. Like let's move our line back. Let's widen our lane. You know, that's me. Some people disagree with that. I, I just think if we do everything we can do to help the player get ready, you still, you're getting your education, even if you're there one year. I mean, it's better for you. You get your social education and, uh, and you're doing it, you know, I think without a lot of money, which anytime I talk to an NBA guy, a coach, a GM that talks to me about one of our players, I always say, well, I had no problem when he was here. And they said, yeah, but was that that was pre-money, not post-money. So we all agree that money changes us all to a certain extent. And I just worry about, I know Michael and, and, and Magic and, and LeBron, the guys that came out and Kobe, they're going to make it. But I just, I keep looking at how many kids aren't going to make it and uh, get fooled by maybe agents, maybe runners, maybe parents. They're getting to be harder now. And uh, it scares me for the kids we're going to survive. We're going to, we're going to make it. I mean, we're going to, we're going to get players and we're going to win just like Mark's going to win. And you're going to win. If you got a system, you're going to win. You just plug in guys. You might not win quite as high, but we're going to survive. It's the kids that I worry about. Don't survive. What's your take? Uh, I agree with both. I really agree. Uh, I feel really strongly with what Rick, uh, said i i just think we're everybody it's all about you know hurry up and make get to where you're making money and and uh i think they're and that's fine if that's really 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 what you want and there is a that there needs to be a a, a place an avenue a, a runway for guys who absolutely want no part of uh uh college and that's fine but i i and I, I can just tell you of all the guys that we've had, uh, you know, go pro and move on to play professionally, they all just yearn for like uh, Rick was saying, to get one more year back, to get back in the locker room, to get that kind of camaraderie. Uh, just that, you know, it's, it's like a passage from young adulthood, adulthood into becoming a, uh, you know, a, a real adult into the real world. And it's, it's a lot different. And uh, I think they're really, uh, everybody that analyzes this and talks about it and wants to just kind of just kill the college system is missing the, totally missing the, you know, the boat on that. And, and I think we have been great partners. Uh, you know, the NBA is what every one of my players aspires to, to get to and play to. And so it's been great for us to, to keep pushing and prodding and try to develop our guys uh, for that level. Uh, but we've been great for them. You know what? I mean, we find these guys, we evaluate them, we, we, we develop them physically, we develop mentally, socially, we help them out, we're there for them. Heck, we even call them when they're in the NBA to, to, to encourage them and, 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 and keep them, you know, going. And, and uh, I think there's got to be some – parameters or rules or something. I mean, if a kid, some of the things I'm hearing, you know, where they're telling them there's not going to be a college season where they're, they're banging them on, uh, uh, or having other NBA guys call on all this and that after these guys have signed and committed. I mean, I don't think that's a good optic for the NBA or for anybody really. I, I think if we just get some parameters, it'll be fine. If those kids want to go there on January one or whatever the date is and, 
let him go. And but I also think the one and done getting rid of that would probably help all this too. The other thing, the other thing that I think is gonna be down the road is that this team, whatever they're calling it, you know, like I don't know, there are 10, 12 guys on it, whatever there is. Well, what about the four guys that don't play very much? You know, they're gonna they'll be making money, they may be making three or four hundred thousand dollars or maybe five hundred thousand. Then they're not playing much, you know. I mean, then are they going to look at it and say, well, gosh, you know, I should have gone to college. And the system the last several years where, you know, they, they've made it a little better where you, I think, have to declare a little bit earlier now. But so many of these guys, you know, because of pressure from either agents and, like it says, family and, you know, they're declaring for the draft and they got, you know, they just got no chance. And it would be good if there was some kind of a system where, you know, they could still have a chance to go back to school. It just seems like that that's a terrible waste. I agree with you there, Rick. I, I, I think the hardest thing for these kids and their families and support systems, and like college isn't for everyone, I understand that. The Your league, Rick, is an exclusive. Oh, wow. it, it, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Hello? Yeah, your got- league is an exclusive club. And... Uh, and it's hard to get to. And very few guys make it there. And and the whole idea that everyone thinks it's a rite of passage now. Like, I'm a good player, oh, y'all just get to the league. Well, you know, you're not just going to get to the league. And only about, you know, you think about 20 international players and then another 40 guys have an opportunity and how long do those guys last? And then if you're going to – and if, look, if a guy's special and different and there's a very rare few guys like that, I worry that guys are going to get sold a bill of goods and then they're going to be in a situation. They're going to play in this thing for a year. They're going to make their $225,000, which is about 150. They got to pay for their housing. They're going to get a car. They got the people that are around them. And then where do they go back to? And that's where I think we've got to find a way. And I agree with you. I think that we've got to find a way to, uh, I guess, if a kid goes and it just doesn't work, maybe have them come back. I don't know, but. I don't like that there's no sense of, of what's in the best interest of long-term. Because every high school kid thinks he's a pro. Every guy on your team, Tom, thinks he's a pro. Every guy on you th- your team, Mark, thinks he's a pro. All right? And you know what? You guys have two of the best programs in the country, and very few guys make it. And, and Rick, the one thing I'd ask you is, like, I hear all these things. When these kids are interviewed, they say, well, you know, these guys are going to get ready to play in the NBA. And you know they're you know I'm gonna be I'm gonna be working with the NBA trainers. Like the last time I checked, the Mark Fuse, the Tom Izzo's, the John Calpari's, the Bill Selfs, and all those guys. Like, is the game that stinking different that the things that Tom's players who have done very well in the league and Mark's players have done very well in the league and all these guys? It seems like those guys are pretty well coached, understand how to play hard, understand accountability, responsibility. And am I way off that that they're selling something that? really isn't real? I mean, again, that's a question, not a statement. Look, there's great coaching in college. I mean, <laughs> so yeah, the programs you just mentioned are, just, are a few of the many, many, many. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, just for me, it, you know, as, as I take a step back and look at the college game and then and then look at the, at the NBA game, the one thing that's interesting to me is that it doesn't appear that the college game has been – hit by the analytics bug the way that the NBA game has. The coaches, you know, um, still in, in in large part keep their systems intact. I don't see a lot of I – know, I, see, I see some – you see some stuff where there's some small college teams that are, that are bombing a, t- a ton of threes and stuff like that. But a lot of the – a lot of the, the, the mainstay programs are staying true to their tradition of how they play um, look, I again, I go back to the the value of the college experience. I mean, being able to play for a guy like Is or or Mark or Bill Self or you know Shashevsky or you know, one of those guys, you know, just the the, the mentoring that you get, um, the experience you get, you know, of of having to perform, you know, on the court but also in the classroom. It just it it develops you. 
like nothing else. Um, and look, I'm I'm a I'm an NBA guy. I'm in I'm in my 35th year of this. I couldn't couldn't be more blessed. Uh, and, I, and I think we're doing what, what what the NBA is doing. They're doing for for the right business reasons, and they're also doing it to um, supply an option for for kids that just aren't that interested in college that that may be good enough. Um, but really, the, the only the only difference I would see is that this this feeder team is going to be playing more, you know, five out basketball, um, the threes and the rim attacks and stuff like this. And and you go to college, you're gonna you're gonna be playing in in more of a quote unquote college system, which is great. I think that's a great basis. Um, to build your career on if you aspire to be an NBA player, which, as you guys say, all these guys do. Um, but I think that's a great place to start. Oh, I, I like to thank you guys. I mean, again, we're just trying to find ways to create a conversation about the game and try to bring an NBA vision, a little bit what's going on in college basketball. And, you know, let's face it, these charted waters for all of us. There's, there's no blueprint, there's no plan for what we're all dealing with individually, collectively, with our teams, with the people that we're caring about. And, uh, you know, the whole idea is just to create a conversation and uh, have a little bit of normalcy. And like Rick, you earlier, where you're doing these Zoom calls with coaches to try to do, you know, to try to kind of get lost in a little bit uh, of what we love and not have to deal with the day-to-day messaging that we're hearing on TV or reading or everything else, which is, you know, obviously it's exhausting. So, uh I really appreciate you guys doing this. Uh, stay safe. Uh, and hopefully, eventually, we'll all get back to a, a normal life. But again, I, I say this at the end of every time we do this, the doctors, the hospital workers, the nurses, the people that move our food chain, the, the people that are teaching our kids in schools, the, the, the youth basketball coaches and people in grassroots basketball that are really, you know, I've done so many good things that can't do anything to, you know, to have an impact on young people in this time of their lives. Uh, I just think we need to be all thankful for for so many that are giving up so much of the news for others in these times. And uh, But hopefully, eventually, we can all get back to some normal. So guys, be safe. And I, I really do appreciate you spending some time and uh, and your insight. And by the way, Fuel, your view is absolutely freaking ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's not so great. Hey, a shout out to Albert Hall, Hall Pass Media, yeah. Network. Thanks for this opportunity. Yeah. Really yeah. enjoyable. Wish yeah. you guys the best. Thank yeah. you, guys. Thank you, guys. Rick, good to see you, Mark. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Likewise. Yeah. Man. Be well. See you. See you guys.